This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host, Conor O'Neill, joined today by Joe Thomas, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland as we look back on a very sombering afternoon for all credit to Everton Football Club as they were beaten 3-1 by Fulham at Goodison Park on Saturday afternoon. When we spoke on Friday, we, we picked this game up as a, a must-win for Everton in their battle to avoid Premier League relegation and unfortunately what transpired was anything but positive as the Blues were well beaten by Marco Silva's side. I think it's safe to say Sean Dyche's men were second best throughout the whole 90 minutes and the feeling as many Evertonians left Goodison Park on Saturday was one of real dejection as a tough couple of weeks now await of losing their battle to avoid the drop. Joe, I'll start with you. There's no easy way to look at Saturday. Is the, it was a painful, painful afternoon. Yeah, it was a really difficult one. A really difficult one. But I think they were second best for the whole 90 minutes. So there was that period just after probably about half an hour in when they were already 1-0 down and Dyke's changed back to the 4-5-1 and last 15 minutes of this first half, first five minutes of the second half for their better side, obviously got the goal. Half time, I was thinking, yeah, but we're going to win this. Um, but I think ultimately it probably transpired that the blip was probably more Fulham dropping off the pace a little bit rather than Everton particularly enforce themselves upon them. I think once Fulham decided this was a game that they wanted to win, I mean, they, they did so pretty comfortably that second half didn't really fill me with a lot of confidence really it felt it just felt all too easy um you know and didn't once he went 2-1 behind and never looked like getting back into that game uh obviously Fulham went on and scored a third and you know I, I had a lot of empathy with the people that were leaving from 70 minutes onwards because and you know as it transpired they were right you just couldn't see Everton getting back into that game obviously they didn't and you know it gives us a lot to ponder over for how the coming weeks going to unfold because there's, there's just no way of avoiding the fact that Everton are in a very difficult position at the minute. I think it was quite telling that Everton's first shot after falling 2-1 behind on goal, which was blocked, came in the 84th minute, which kind of tells you tells you everything that we need to know, doesn't it, in terms of just how how unlikely it was they were ever going to get back into that game. Bees, you're alongside me, me and yeah. Joe in the press box at Goodison, and I think Joe says they you know a bit of a confidence kind of killer. Yeah. I think it was a little bit more than that one on Saturday because the manager which Everton were, were beaten by a side who we all presume were on the beach. Yeah. You know, the manager was in the stands. They haven't they'd lost five on the bounce, the Sarsa okay. Ford wasn't playing. Yeah. Everything seemed to be before the game in favour of Everton and what transpired was was anything but that. Yeah, that's why that's why it was so so pain, painful, so potentially damaging, I think, for Everton. Um as painful as as hurtful as it was for us all, the three of us were all at Old Trafford the previous weekend when you know Everton were well beaten and were fortunate to escape with just a, a 2 0 reversal. But the hope was that there are certain fixtures you look at them and you there's certainly no gimmies. But these are the ones you're gonna be targeting. You mm-hmm. you can understand that they've gone to Chelsea it was tough, Tottenham was tough, even if I was at home and Manchester United away. Gets to us almost like a, a choke point where then you've got to, it's all got to be on the following game. And, and I know managers will say that they're, they're not they're not must wins or Sean Dyche flips it around yeah. says they're all must wins, which sort of dilutes the phrase must must win, of course. That was, other than, you know, last game of the season, you've got to win to stay up. That was as big as, or as, as, as big as, as true as a must win, I think, as you're going to get for Everton. And, um, 
I don't know, you can never win a game with a history book. Um, the fact that, you know, Everton had had all these tough fixtures on the Dyche, gone to places where they hadn't won for a long time, certainly from fans. This was the total flip of that. Fulham had won at Goodison last time out, but that was again in the artificial behind closed doors environment. They'd never actually won a, a, a league game um, at, at Goodison. And yeah, this was say, say, on the beach, it means credit to Fulham, but they were anything but that. But yeah, but with the manager in the stands, Mitrovic suspended. And then coming into that, remember that that's on the back, like we said, on the back of five straight defeats. These are the type of games at Everton really have to be wins to stay up. And that's what's left us all in such a, a sombre mood now and scratching heads concerned about where the next win's going to come from. It would have just relieved all that pressure and kept Everton ticking along. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all such a tough situation involved at the moment, but that would have sort of kept Everton sort of on par, as it were, and and, and now they're, they're, that, that's, that was a, a, a massive um, setback and that leaves a greater emphasis, a greater pressure now on, on the games ahead. Gav, you said on Friday you were hoping for an easy afternoon. <laughs> I think, you know, a nice routine, a nice routine win. Um, I think then where it's come back to haunt us by about half four, close to five, when we realised this, this is anything but a routine win for the Blues. Obviously, someone... I remember last season, you, know, you were worried that the Blues were, you know, cook up, face the drop. That, that no one years have been eased now. If anything, they've only increased after what we witnessed on Saturday. Yeah, I was just thinking on, on Twitter last week, there was somebody uh, posted a clip of Echo and the Bunnymen at Sefton Park. And in the midst of it, you can see me standing in the lake at the age of 16. But that wasn't the most embarrassing thing with me on Twitter last week. It was me predicting a 3 0 win on Friday, I think, for Everton, sort of some start. You know, and uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, true. And I think, yeah, I, I, I got. I think what Chris said is right, and we were we were picking it up. It, it, you know, we we were saying that this could be a business as usual, win good opportunity. And in the last two years, I'm thinking it's been really disappointing. But in many respects, Saturday was the most disappointing of all in that that period because of the gap between the importance of the importance of the game. And who we were playing, and our performance was so flat. There was a big differential there, wasn't it? It wasn't as if we, you know, we were playing it like as Chris was saying, playing Tottenham or Chelsea or Man United. We get beat. Well, you do expect to get beat there, or you know, a draw if you're lucky. Fulham, you're expecting to to get a win and and perform well given our circumstances, and we were the complete opposite, weren't we? from the start, apart from that 15-minute period Joe was talking about. And that was the single most disappointing thing for me on Saturday, the gap between the importance of the game and the, our performance. And that's really worrying at this stage of the season, Connor. Joe, me and you were sat in the Goodison Park media room before the game, where the team news dropped and it was clear Donna Calvert-Loon wasn't back in the squad. Amazon Rana was also out after picking up an injury a groin injury that, that, that meant he was sidelined you turned to me and said what do you think and I said I'm a little bit worried <laughs> and I think that was when the, the, the almost the, the mood changed a little bit wasn't it around Goodison and everyone looked at that team sheet and thought mm, that's a little bit weak and looked at the bench thought there's not many options there if things are going wrong yeah yeah I think, that, I think the penny dropped then a little bit as well and I think that um, maybe something that ever can perhaps look at is is the management of expectations. I think over the coming weeks, we've we've been trapped in this cycle of is he fit, is he not fit with Dominic Calvert-Lewin for yeah, for 10 games now, essentially. And 
you know, I, I I don't necessarily have a problem with with Sean Dyche being vague over it. Um, you know, I can understand it's not straightforward, and I can understand that probably helps have a little bit of intrigue when you know trying to perhaps make things harder for an opposition manager to set yeah. up for a team, things like that. But it's 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 got a little bit ridiculous over the past fortnight. You know. It, <laughs> Evan had been tweeting out a lot of pictures of Dominic Calvert-Lewin training and things like that. And he certainly had the the impression that he was on the cusp of a recovery or on the cusp of a, of a, of a return. And for every team, for every week that you go through like that and then you get a team sheet and he's not on it, bearing in mind just how significant the difference in that Everton side is with him and not in it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's just, it, it deflates you so much when you don't, when it turns on it. Like, I you know, don't think he was ever going to start on Saturday before maybe he might make the bench or, you know, at the very least, if we didn't make the bench, we'd at least get a bit of an explanation as to why. Obviously, Sean Dice after the game said he might be back for Palace, but, you know, it just, it almost sets everybody up for, to fail and to kind of, you know, deflate at two o'clock. And then when you look at everything else, obviously, Obviously, Amadou Anana wasn't there. A big loss. There's been a bit of a debate that I've seen over recent weeks about the influence he has and whether he gets too much credit or whether he not, doesn't get enough. Like I'm a, I think he's a, a young and inexperienced player, but an incredibly talented player, which I think everybody agrees with. I actually think he's been quite good in recent mm. games. He could have, there was room for improvement, but I thought we saw how much we missed him on Saturday for him not being there, you know, just having that kind of disruptive force to make blocks, make interceptions, make tackles. I think I think Anana's got a lot to learn about what to do when he then picks up the ball on the edge of his own area or deep in his own half and then carries it all, his distribution, etc. But in terms of just being that disruptive force, it's crucial to Everton and it's made them a lot harder to play through under Sean Dyche. Um, obviously, that wasn't there the other day. We, we missed it. Um, and again, it's just a surprise of him not being there. The, the, the kind of, you just think, well, did they know that, was it touch and go on Thursday when we're talking about all the pre-match stuff? Was it not? Because again, I think that with a little bit more preparation, the families might have been a little bit more accepting when that team, team news came out. And in the end, you're just there thinking, oh, you know, no Anana, no Calvert-Lewin. No Decore, of course. We knew Decore wasn't going to be there. No Patterson, you know, Godfrey playing at right back, which, to be fair, Deitch kind of alluded to that might be the case on, on Thursday. But again, it just felt like a strange decision. And also the fact that it looked like it was going to be a 4-4-2 again, which hadn't worked against Manchester United. I know Manchester United are a good side, good form at home. Um, and there is the potential to chalk that off to a, you know, just, just a one game difficulty against a, you know, against a good side, but 442 just didn't work at Old Trafford. I didn't see any redeeming features for it to, for Evan to start with it on Saturday. When you combine all that, when you combine all those things to two o'clock when that team news drops, we can understand how it, you have a fan base that feels a little bit winded because you looked at that side and you thought, wow, I, you know, this is a must-win game. And I, I, you know, I, I'm not sure how much I can faith I can put in that starting 11. And then you look at the bench and you think, obviously, you know, he has got injuries, he has got suspensions to deal with. The recruitment and you know, the, the depth and strength of this side is, is a legacy that he's inherited. It's not his fault. But you also looked at that and you thought, well, if anything does go wrong, there isn't a hell of a lot on the bench there. There isn't much opportunity to change things. So all of a sudden it did kind of 
you know, the, I think the mood, the mood in the press box, the mood in in, in the stands was was. You know, there was an edgy nervousness Deitch referenced it after I think at the start of that game because I think everybody was sitting there fearing the worst and obviously that's how it transpired He's obviously you know Joe to there but you know Sean Deitch opted to go back to the 4 4 yeah. formation which we'd seen him start with at Old Trafford he, like, he changed it a lot earlier than he did at Old Trafford yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was like 20-25 mm-hmm. minutes in when he went back to 4-5-1 was you surprised to see him go back to 4-4-2 given how disastrous it had been the week before at Old Trafford the other thing I'd say is like, as we, as Joe's already alluded to, that is uh, not many teams got the same sort of pace as United do. But it, it was a sort of a different way that um, Fulham exploited it. They they had William on on the mm-hmm. wing. He was almost thirty five years of, of age, but. He, the way he was playing was just so intelligent. He was yeah. he, he, he just finding those pockets of space every time. So he's not beating them with the sheer pace like Manchester United wingers were. He was being too clever for Godfrey. He was like leading him a merry dance, and then obviously Michelenko on the on the on the other side who came back in, and he's um, I think was showing Harry Wilson in for the goal. That like, the two fullbacks were, were all at sea, unfortunately. Um, it was a real mess. Of, you've got that dual sort of problem. It wasn't just the, the two the two in the middle where they're getting overrun, which they obviously were. They, they mean, I think that's been the problem both for, for Deitch and Ben that Lampard had for a long time with his Everton side. If you've not got three men in the middle, then you're getting overrun, you're getting outnumbered and they're in all sorts of problems. It was the way it was manifesting itself out on, on the wings as, as well. With the, 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 the two full-backs really um, struggled. I mean, I'm surprised. I would have imagined that Patson would have come straight back in, but obviously Dyke sees him every day on the in the training ground and has and uh has switched Godfrey over and put Mikalenko back in. But yeah, they they it's sort of a dual problem because the way it affected both the central midfield and, and the full back areas. Gav, you know, in terms of we we've always spoken about this from the pod and you know, it's, it's been a it's a real debate and, and topic for every fans, but it was on Saturday, wasn't it, where again you saw the stark reminder of just how weak and how kind of, you know, ill-balanced Everton squad is, isn't it? Because, you know, all of a sudden they lose a couple of players and the team looks severely weakened than, than, what, than what it could be. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was I saw the bench and there was a couple of faces I didn't recognise, which is slightly worrying, isn't it, really? Um, and I, I mentioned on Friday, I felt that the absence of Coleman was going to really hit us hard. And I, and I felt that was borne out, I think, the way Saturday played out. Because, I, as I say, he's, he's a big vocal presence for us on the pitch. And his absence was magnified by Anana not being there as well. There's also quite a big vocal presence on the pitch. And I think those two players being not being in the in the team meant that we looked a little bit rudderless and a little bit of lacking of leadership on the park on, 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 on Saturday for me. Because our two... You know, natural leaders, I suppose, and on that as captain teams, hasn't he? Weren't there, and I don't think that helped. And I think also the absence of Coleman meant that Godfrey, Godfrey right back, is their second goal. You see quite a bit when you've got a centre half who's playing fullback. Is they tend to naturally take positions sometimes that a centre half would take, not a fullback. And so when the cross comes over, Godfrey sort of. Acts as if he's a centre half, not a fullback. He, he gets drawn into the middle, doesn't he? Right, because that's his natural sort of reaction to the ball being played out wide and a cross coming in. When in reality, I think if Coleman had been there, he would have sensed the danger far more than Godfrey and moved out and block, blocked off William. 
And so I felt that the absence of Coleman was, was massive on, on Saturday. And the other point that you made, Joe, as well, I think in, in your post-match piece, I think is also uh, valid that it's quite obvious that Pickford really was a bit unsure what to do with the ball at his feet. And one of the things when Coleman plays is, Joe, you made the point, is one of our default out balls, isn't it, is Pickford will chip the ball over to Coleman on the right, the right flank. He'll get it and then he'll move the ball forwards up the pitch and that, that option wasn't available for us on Saturday and consequently we'd lost a little bit of, little, little bit of shape with the ball at the back end. and yeah and so I think Coleman's a big absence and Arne a big absence the fact that really we haven't got a lot of options on the bench I mean I think you could argue that should have brought some subs on earlier but yeah it, it was threadbare wasn't it and that, 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 that that's also a worrying thing I mean, I think there's a legitimate, you know, if you see the third goal there, I think there's a legitimate discussion to be had about why Mina's not getting the shirt at the moment. We will come on to selection, but I just want to touch on that we haven't conceded on Saturday because we've long spoke about Everton's problems in front of goal going forward. I think, you know, we've, we've long covered that. But for a lot, you know, for spells off this season, we praised Everton's backline for being mm. strong, resolute, you know, defending well, defending with the, you know, the bodies on the line and stuff. But in recent weeks, we've seen this back four almost become a little bit exposed. I haven't been, you know, the goals Everton conceded on Saturday, although Fulham played well. They should have been. They were easy, preventable. And again, it was you know mistakes and people being caught out, just like it was Old Trafford, and just like it has been in, in, in recent weeks. Yeah, I think that it felt like on on Saturday that there was almost a, a lack of a lack of kind of intelligence, both collectively and individually, mm. from the defensive performance. I think you know, the first goal, Everton had a warning about Harry Wilson coming in off the left just before the first goal when. You know, I think someone, I think probably William put the ball across the box and Tarkovsky could only really glance it to the edge of the area. And Wilson was there and he got his shot off and it was straight at Pickford. They got a let off. And, you know, a couple of minutes later, he picks up the ball in all that space and Michelangelo just stands off him, lets him drift inside onto his left foot, lets him have a hit. You know, there was no attempt to close him down. And that's obviously what Wilson wants to do. He hits the post. You know, so you, you, you have the, the failure there to stop that from happening and then you have the failure to react best to the you know the ball that then rebounds back um you know like like gav says is almost i can kind of understand what gav's saying there about the godfrey playing almost a center back fullback there it's almost like his instinct was more to protect the box or you know that area around the goal so that you mm. as opposed to kind of thinking about what happens if william gets at the back post like you felt like rather than there are a lot of balls over against man united that drifted over godfrey's head so that you possibly misjudged um yeah with with that one at the weekend you kind of thought he probably could have got that got to that and put it out for a corner if you wanted to yeah. but, but he was playing a different kind of game I think to, to what fullback would we would necessarily do you, you know you're right and even then obviously your know, ball gets pulled back and you know, there's no one there missing you're missing Anana in the middle there to try and maybe block or get a block on on um you know on the finish and then yeah the third goal I just I just don't understand why Keenan Tarkovsky let the ball drop. Mm. You know, you know, the first 15 minutes of this game was a game between, you know, it looked like a game between um, a, two sides, neither of which had their first choice goal threats. You know, neither had their big man up top and neither really knew what to do about it. Obviously, you know, Daniel James isn't the biggest. Um, and, you know, uh, Mope and Gray are obviously very diminutive compared to centre-backs. So, you know, I can understand Pickford's frustration when he's ended up 
lumping long balls up to those two against um, against Reem and Adarabayo. So, both I mean, six you know, exactly. But obviously, they, they did their job and won everything in the air. And I just don't understand why. I don't understand why Keenan or Tarkovsky, when you both of them are letting that ball drop it, you know, got, you know it's two on one. It's Daniel James, like he's tiny. I don't know. The one thing they know he has got is pace. Um, you know, to have not just clear that, you know, even if they got to clear their teammate out with it, just, just deal with that ball mm. over the top. You know, it's just, it's, it, as I say, it almost just felt like a, a lack of, it was like they were brain dead for you know, the three big moments of the game from that respect. And even, even aside from that as well, see you know, reference to the good opportunity that Wilson had at nil nil. And then, um, you know, Andrea Pereira had, two really good opportunities on the edge of the Everton box, you know, one from the corner and another one from a pullback where again, you know, he had time to pick his face, pick his spot. I think one was saved and one was blocked, but you know, he, he had plenty of time, plenty of space on the edge of the area to be picked out and to get a shot off. And this, this was a game, you know, Mope had good chances, but once, once Fulham went two one up, Obviously, we know they went to 3-1. This was closer to being 5-1 than it was 3-3. Yeah. I think as well, obviously, there's the Dan James transfer isn't really somebody that gets in behind again. Yeah. The ball rolls across across the line. But these are obviously Michael Silver offered to play Dan James in front with his, his pace in behind. Obviously, you know, a bit of a, a false nine. Is, is this becoming a worry how that teams are? Looking at Everton, I think that there's not much pace there. And if you get in behind, you're going to stretch them, you're going to expose. Because obviously, we've seen Man United do it the week before. And Everton look like they're chasing shadows a lot of the time when that ball goes over the top. There's not a lot there in terms of being able to cover them and get back. Yeah, I've been speaking to Michael Ball about his column, which we'll have coming up later. And it's similar to United. Like you said, they, they, they've done your, their homework. You can't expect at this level teams not to scout you and to, to look what you're all about. And what under Dyke, she's all been about. I mean, the managers seem to say it every week when they were playing Everton. I mean, long balls, set balls. Making yeah. it difficult being in the face, but yeah, on the flip side of that, they they do look they do look um, wary to pace, and that was the thing, wasn't it? With, with James, like we said, he's he's small, but he, he's quick. He's one of the quickest players in the Premier League, and yeah, I couldn't care with what Joe was saying. In between them, the two of them, Tarkovsky and Keane, just don't let him get get through like that. I mean, it's far, it was just far too easy, wasn't it? I mean, you. Fair enough, if someone's done you with an amazing piece of skill or a world-class yeah. finish or something, you say, well, hold your hand up, that's that's fair enough. But yeah, it, it was simple stuff at, um, at this level. And that's what um, I think Dyche was asked about after the game, about the the, the potential um, of um, re- results um, and performances um, bottoming out after, after a promising start. There's not been as many points as the last few games. I mean, he referenced that being against playing about handy sides and it was put back to him that there's many players your handy sides um, ahead so yeah they, it, it, I can't say that I've been found out but it is a, it's, it's, it's a concern um, going forward they have been done just so easily like that yeah it's, like I said fair enough somebody does something amazing well hold your hand up but yeah it was, it was just far too easy just before I come to Gav I can't think of one so I'll ask you three lads when was the last time Everton seized the goal where you thought wow it's a great piece of individual brilliance or a goal that kind of blew you away because if you think oh look I can't think of a goal in recent weeks that you can't look at the defender or the, the build up to it and think mm-hmm. Everton should do so much better there well, it's a concern isn't it you know all of us looking springing to mind that's what I'm saying that's the yeah. big concern is that you can't you can't think, sit here now and think well that goal every goal we've conceded every, every goal Everton have conceded in recent weeks you can easily look at the defender or the build up and think they should have done better there yeah, I mean, the best goal I can 
think you know it's probably the opening goal against um, Arsenal when they lost at the Emirates and mm. um, Zinchenko played the ball through to Saka. It was a great finish. Even then, yeah, I think there were question marks over the kind of positioning between Mikalenko and Keane. But I think what really happened there was and. Because Everton posed such a little threat going defensively, they were very, very good in that first 40 yeah. minutes. But because they posed such a little threat going forward, what Ateta was able to do basically moves Inchenko from left back and just have him drifting in between the lines mm. in the middle for five minutes, knowing that it wouldn't expose Arsenal. And that gave him the freedom to find a little pocket of space and play that ball. But yeah, you, know, you, you, you make a good point. I think. Um, yeah, uh, I'm just, just going through yeah. in the head now, the Forest goals <laughs> and the Chelsea goals. I, 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 penalties I, 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 in there, I, I, isn't there? Yeah, I can't think of one, but yeah. you think to yourself, you know, wow, you know, you yeah, know yeah. that's faster than this side's RB. You know, both of them goals are... Yeah, avoidable. Well, you know, in avoidable, terms of yeah. you get caught. Yeah. But, Gavin, obviously, you know, go it's a good to, point. To, to touch on you in terms of selection because we saw after the defeat to Aston Villa, you know, Conor Coles didn't have a very good, a great game against Villa, got done for Goal. And Sean Dyche was then ruthless when Everton went to the Emirates on the Wednesday night. And obviously, Conor Cody drops to the bench in place of Michael Keane. Obviously, Cody's not had a look in since. Given how bad, you know, how, how much, you know, Tarkovsky and Keane both struggled on, on Saturday, surely Sean Dyche should be looking to make more ruthless decisions now ahead of Everton's trip to Selhurst Park next Saturday because surely he should be looking back and well, that's not good enough. And I've already been ruthless with one player and he's got Able to, like, he should be able to look at um, um, chasing up because it can't carry on the way it's going, can it? Especially at the back. No, no, that's a, that's a separate podcast, that isn't it? Yeah. Goals ever conceded this season, analysed. You know, that would be a that'd be a full forty-five minutes, wouldn't it? Really? I mean, to be fair, I think if you ask most clubs, you know, the, the, most clubs managers, you know, could you stop goals this season against? Yeah, most have said that we could have stopped most of them. To be fair. But ours have just been down to it. The difference is ours have been down to it. And the set has happened on occasions at key moments in games. But yeah, I, I, I mentioned it then. I, I, I'm, I'm baffled that Mina is not getting a game, to be honest with you. When we talk about lacking Onana and uh, Coleman, you know, Mina is, is he's effervescent, isn't he? He is a bit of a, he does give you a little bit of leadership on the pitch. I'm not sure where his head is. Bear in mind, he's been sat on the bench for about three months. But, and his contacts at the end, of, up at the end of the season. But I'd certainly worth it, worth it I just thought that was, I mean, talk about like the Tarkovsky and Keane thing. It was Tarkovsky's fault, isn't it? What a stupid foul to give away on the halfway line, you know, and uh, originally. And I think um, that's, that's definitely needs looking at. I thought Fulham were quite clever on on Saturday. They really didn't play an orthodox striker, and they left the two centre halves a little bit who to pick up. And you know, I've mentioned before the other thing on Saturday, which I mentioned we don't have a natural player number six who can sniff out danger. And I'd expected six who could sniff out danger to position themselves. Where how many times was a Fulham player at the edge of the box on Saturday? Yeah, with nobody by them. Five or six times. I mean, there was one in the first half. Was the corner, wasn't it? Came over. Did that go to Pereira? I can't remember. At the edge of the box, he's in acres of space. He's and I think he just clipped it wide. Yeah, clipped it wide. So there, there was, there was, and the goal came from you know the second goal came from by that the edge of the box unmarked. You know, notwithstanding Godfrey was at fault, and I think. That it, I mean, for, for all Dice's touch, but this frustrating thing for me is the more, 
Dice made a big point in him. We saw that coaching clips and all this when he first joined. We all we all on him and he made that big thing in about protecting the V in front of the goal. That 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 area space between the goalpost stretching out to the edge of the penalty area. And the one thing we didn't do on Saturday was protect that that V or that area space, did we? I mean, all their goals sort of came from that area. Uh, and and that points to defensive inability to, you know, ineffectiveness, sorry. And also midfielders not understanding where they should position themselves. And that needs to be rectified because Palace will give us some, I know we talk about this later in the week, Palace will give us some danger in those areas, haven't they? They've got players you can cut in from out wide and stuff. Yeah, and that definitely changed things down. I get mean on the on the pitch. I know there's a risk that he might come off, but it's not as if you've got a, a short fall of centre-halves on the bench. I'd be really uh, to replace him. And um, so, yeah, and I, that, so, yeah. Can I answer your question? Yes, we need to make changes at the back. <laughs> Joe, obviously, you know, in terms of the other end of the pitch going forward, obviously, you know, I said we've, we've spoken about it at length, but once again on Saturday, Neil Moore has two glorious chances at 1-1. Misses both. Okay, Tarkovsky should also finish the follow-up to the first one after the header, but at 1-1, big moments and big games. Once again, they go back and... Yeah, they, they do. Um, I, I really... Really want Morpay to do well. Mm. I want it to work for him, uh, Everton, um, or at least I want this season to become a little bit more positive for him. I, I do think he has an appreciation for the fact that it's a privilege to play for them. Mm. Speaking to him a couple of times over the course of this season, but you know, at some point you got to start taking your chances, and they were two huge chances. I mean, the header. I kind of. I mean, it's it's quite a reactive one isn't it where it's sometimes it's just you've got to get on target and just hope it goes past a goalkeeper so you know at least his instincts were right at least he's in the right position for that the one-on-one was a lovely move and I saw I think in my head at the time although it was clearly a big chance I thought it was a lot closer to the goalkeeper when he when he picked up the ball and uh, at the end of it I saw a screen grab of it on on social media earlier on this morning and didn't realise just quite how much time and space he had mm. and, and when I saw that I thought it's it is difficult to start you know giving benefit of the doubt yeah. you know, he's, he's missed some big chances in some big games and you only have to look at the difference it would have made if he'd have scored some of them you know just off the top of my head just thinking it was a great save from Allison, but if he scores on his debut in the derby, then mm-hmm. yeah, that's three point or two more points, and that's that's huge, isn't it? He had the he had a good chance at Arsenal at nil nil, and Everton was so good for that first forty minutes. Um, that could have been a different game, uh, and obviously again at, at, at the weekend, you know, the two two big chances. But Everton not having a ruthless edge is is something that we're you know, well versed to this season, isn't it? Without Dominic Calvert Lewin, um, I think probably I like most people were surprised that more people even got the chance to start, mm. um, and that's you know it's 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 a strange one really because you get the impression that Dyke is still trying to work out who is best at what. Um, you know, he's persevering with Gray up top and then Ella Sims up top and then, you know, pay up top and two up top and one up top. And he's tried moving Amadou Anana more forward and then dropping him back. And, you know, I, I guess I feel a bit sorry for Dyson in that respect because obviously, you know, he's still pretty new to this squad. Mm. 
And he's he's been given a squad that when Calvert Lewin isn't fit, the, the solutions aren't obvious. He's got to find. He's got to be canny. He's got to be clever. He's got to. You know, he's almost got to trick his way into making Everton a, an attacking threat apart from from set pieces, and he was able to do that when he had the core. You know, it was he changed the way Everton set up, and he changed the style, and he found a way which probably few of us thought was possible, getting Everton up the pitch and posing a consistent threat in the final third without Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Obviously, that was by getting Decore to support Gray. But obviously, Decore's gone for the last two games, isn't available for the next one, and you know, Everton really just you know, don't have a plan B, mm-hmm. do they? Uh, and it's, it's, pay, it's, pain, it's patently obvious and it's painful to watch. So, you know, could you take the positive and say at least they're creating chances? Dyche wants them to have the, the bliss to miss, the freedom to miss. Problem is, there's the scoring, they're scoring so few of those chances, they haven't really got the freedom to miss. They need to go and not keeping clean sheets at the other end for some of the reasons that we've just discussed. So, you know, it's, it's hard to kind of see what the solution is without. It's hard to see what the solution is for Palace if, unless Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes back fit. Because obviously we know Decore is not going to be available. Once we get beyond Palace, then obviously we, we, you know, we know that Decore is back fit and we can revert back to this the style and the formation, the tactical setup that worked well with Deitch. I think we all agreed worked as probably as well as Evan could work given the resources he's got. So question is where Evan are at that point and whether it's enough given the run of fixtures that will then come up and the teams they'll be playing against. Because it's this felt like such a big game, not necessarily wasn't a don't win it in your down or anything like that. Well, you know, it, but it, when you look at the table, what well, Everton have got 27 points. Yeah, you know, I think nine points would probably keep them up from 36. This was probably the easiest three when you looked at it on the table. Fulham side without Mitrovic, manager in the stands, nothing to play for, lost a whole other games recently. You know, no no real direct attacking threat that Evan should be. The attacking threat was very predictable mm-hmm. on, on, on Saturday, you know, uh, and so Evan couldn't do anything about it. And the problem is it's getting to that nine points where you take away the potential for three of them coming from Fulham, or at least one of them coming from Fulham. You know, then you start to get caused some problems. That's obviously the main thrust of my match report. That, that, you know, after the game, the reality now is that they're going to have to go and do something which they've struggled to do for two years, and that's probably if they want to get the points to keep them up. Gotta start winning away from home. He's, you know, Joe touched on it there, but where do Everton go from here now after this? Because you know, it was such a damaging defeat and it was, you know, such a huge blow in the bits of the relegation. Where do Everton yeah. go from here? Well, as Joe just said, they need they chronically need an away result at some point, whether that's um, Crystal Palace and then obviously Leicester City get cranked up even more, then yeah, they've got to go and do that. Um what is it? Is it three three away wins in in two seasons? Yeah, that's that's not good enough. And sort of you're getting propped up on your form at Goodison Park, and then if you're not getting results there, like on, on Saturday, yeah, you're just going to have to go and and get a, an away result um, from somewhere. So they're going to have to, and, and, it, and it's and it's ridiculous, really, because I mean a lot everyone obviously with the away fans and stuff like that. A lot of teams they don't have these sorts the levels of support that Everton. Uh, are blessed with away from home, both in the, the numbers and the, the way they get behind the, the teams. Uh, I know by nature, away fans tend to be more noisy, whatever, whatever club that is. But, you know, they, they, 
the, the kind of levels that Everton have, you know, up and down the country, cost of living crisis, and they're still always there in, in their numbers. So those fans, just they, they need to give them something to, to sing about in one of these away games. And it, it can't just be like a, a one-off like Leicester City uh, uh, last season, which the chairman referenced along with the Crystal Palace home game. I mean, it's probably going to go down to the wire either way. Um, unfortunately, this this time we had it. It's simple. Joe said it himself. I'll say it. You know, you know got to go and get something away from home. Gavin, in terms of you know Everton getting something away from home, it's a lot more difficult than than what it sounds, isn't it? Because of how bad they performed, how bad the struggles have been away from home, and, and quite simply, you know the games to come, the teams are playing are all either in form or relegation rivals. Yeah, yeah. I was just looking. About the last two years, we got 49 points from 61 games. I think since we had that good start on to Manisa, that's, that's like it's a long, it's a long term problem, this isn't it, really, for, for, for the team? Yeah, well, because we don't score goals, isn't it? I mean, if you don't score goals, you're certainly not going to get results away from home, are you? Because as we know, by and large, most teams go, you know, they're more likely to score at home than away. And the way games are uh, tricky. I mean, before we came on air, I said that. that left get... Sorry. No, that, that was... no, no, no. Carry on. All right, sorry. So you said something that the way games are tricky in this Leicester game. It, it, same before we came on air, that there's. I can't remember that three relegation scraps in the Premier League era. We're, we're near the end of the season. We played somebody who was one of our rivals to go down. So that's going to be a new experience. And the Palace game looks really tricky, doesn't it? They, they've won three, three on the on the spin. And then we've got Wolves. I mean, we've just got to hope that Wolves have got, you know, got the flip-flops on for that game, perhaps. And we've got Brighton, we've got Brighton away, haven't we? Which, to be fair, probably after Man City, where he's probably the hardest game you can have in the Premier League at the moment. And I think, um, let's face it, it's... it's you're looking at you. If you get four points in those four matches, we would have done very well. And um, but we've got to the, the reason why we need away wins is um, the home games aren't great. You got Man City and Newcastle, two of the two of the home games, haven't we? If we get a point for me, that I might be uh, well pleased. But it's just like if you don't score goals, Connie, you're not going to win games, are you? And if you don't win games, you don't get points. If you don't get points, you get relegated. It's, it's as simple as that, isn't it? Really. Joe, there was one ounce of small comfort for Evertonians at the weekend. Not a lot, but the fact Southampton, Forest and Leicester also lost. <laughs> I know it's quite damning that we're looking at other results, but at the minute, everyone's going to take any little positive you can get. Yeah, uh, I think I was the last one to leave Goodison, so certainly the last member of the press to leave Goodison on, on, on uh, Saturday. Um, I had to ring up security to get him to lock up after me. And I was just walking around, walking out and just thinking that the only positive I could take from the Saturday was the fact that as frustrating as it was to see Wolves and Bournemouth win because it mm. takes them a step further clear of Everton. You know, the chances are, such as the way that they're going about things, both will be safe by the last two games of the season. Now, Evan would still need to, you know, perform to get results against them. But that's a lot better prospect than imagining both being six point shootouts. Mm. Um, 
I think Everton have just got to get themselves in a situation where they're still in the battle. You know, they're still, hopefully, still got their fate in their own hands by that point, um, it, which isn't going to be easy because of some of those games that, that, that we just mentioned. Um, you know, obviously, Palace away on, on Saturday, well, they won three on the bounce. They're probably, they're safe now. They're, mm. they're one win away from confirming it, yeah. you know, that they're safe. Well, this is their best opportunity to get it. And then they've got six games then to kind of start thinking about who their next manager, long-term manager is going to be, start planning for next season and things like that, you know, which, which you know, was being unthinkable for them you know, three weeks ago. Um, so there's going to be an intent from them. You look at Newcastle, they obviously they, they, they're good, but they're not so good that they haven't sewn up fourth place yet. So they're probably going to want to win to cement their Champions League credentials. you got Man City, all of a sudden you thought maybe Arsenal would be four or five points clear at the top of the, title of the league and City would be constant in the Champions League. Well, now a win against Everton could well take them one step closer to the title because of Arsenal's recent results. Um, you know, Brighton will be competing to get into Europe. And then obviously Leicester, I mean, it's just such a huge game, that Leicester game. And, and the, the concerning thing for me about Leicester is the fact that they, you know, despite all their, you know, their, their troubles at various points under Rodgers, they've typically been comprehensively the better side against Everton when they've met recently. You know, in the one-all draw that Charleston scored on the last, the last minute equaliser at Goodison last season, they were miles better than Everton. That game should have been out of sight. Uh, luckily it wasn't. Everton got a crucial point. It was a brilliant, brilliant away trip at the King Power Stadium. You know, memorable, memorable day um, for, for so many people and, and, you know, the fans were fantastic and they had a great day to celebrate one or two few recently, but it was a win that was founded on the strength of Jordan Pickford's performance. He, he produced a number of outstanding saves in that game. Could easily have been a different uh, kettle of fish, and then obviously bonfire night. Unless that's uh, ever you wanted. Uh, I mean, Everton went into that game. I remember the feed being in the press room, thinking Everton win today, then the top half of the table. The way the results have gone earlier on that day, and there was probably no more emphatic uh, uh, kind of, no more an emphatic example or showcase as to how far Everton were actually off the pace of being a. Of a comfortable mid to you know, lower top half table side in the way that James Madison and co played for him that night. So obviously um, um, Leicester in a mess now, but they've got the abilities to cause having problems. I think you know if it, it feels like it's a case of relying on three teams to be worse than Everton. I think now. I think if I, I think I think Southampton are probably down. I think if Leicester or Forest, and obviously Leicester, their momentum is absolutely atrocious. Forest, their running is absolutely awful. Um, but if either of them show a little bit of result, it's going to be very difficult for Everton to match them. I think. I think that's correct. We used to Everton now, and I'm hoping that there's three teams worse than them. The side of it is we thought Brighton were on the beach, and we thought that was going to be full. Sorry, Brian. Yeah, Brian. I'm, 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 I'm already thinking. I'm already thinking. I'm already thinking. Getting Emma himself thinking of our um, trip there for Joe and I and Bank Holiday weekend. Sorry. Yeah, all over on the beach. Me and Joe might be on the beach. We might, saying, be, yeah, so might be carrying on into the sea. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, before uh, yeah, we all thought Fulham were on the Fulham were on on the beach, and they weren't. So the flip side of that, Joe's just given us like loads of legitimate examples of why all those other teams are going to be motivated <laughs> and really difficult for them to play against. Maybe the flip side of that 
is that uh, it won't be quite as difficult as the picture has just been painted there. But yeah, um, they've, they've, they've got to, you, yeah, you, you've got to make sure that you, you, you get the points on the board rather than uh, relying on what others are doing. Well, it all comes down to Gav Buchan now. <laughs> Gav, what picture are you going to choose to follow? Be so beat positive <laughs> or Joe's, you know, looking, looking at it in a, in a glum well, after my comfortable three 0 home win prediction for Everton on Friday, me and Connie, yeah, yeah, um, I think you've got to stay positive, haven't you? And you, you've got to, you've got. I mean, you may, may not find that there. You may not thirty four, thirty five might keep you up. You don't know, do you? Um, the problem you've got, you've got people playing against each other who are going to take points off each other, aren't they? So, I think you've got to remain positive. I think. But that's not enough, isn't it? We've got to we've got to say, well, how are we going to change things? To, you know, because we can't just we can't, how are we going to have a better attitude on Saturday as well? And I think the central defence needs uh, sure enough. We can't get Anana and or Coleman back on the pitch as quickly as possible. Uh, get get hopefully DCL. You know, and this has been a DCL free podcast, thank God, largely um, DCL back on the pitch. Or on the grass, as it were, and 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 get a more positive mentality in the players than what we saw on on Saturday. I don't think it's just a case of getting on the pitch and praying for it. We've got to be proactive here, haven't we? And and change, you know, Dice has got to be proactive and change things around a bit because it's not working at the moment. And the starting point will be for me play four five one from the beginning of the game and not after twenty minutes or twenty five minutes where you've been battered. So that's a good starting point for for picking things up. Pick the right team at the you know the right formation at the start of the game. I guess Evan, I mean, try and be a bit more positive. Some of the solutions should come back to Dice a little bit. You know, hopefully Calvin Lewin may well be fit for for Saturday, or you know, and play an impact. But judging by what you were saying at the weekend, you'd think for the you know, the games after that, and then Decore naturally comes back after suspension. If you look at Everton fourth, if you then go back to four or five one, and you have Decore in the middle and Calvin Lewin up top, then. Yeah, it's a much different ball game, isn't it? I think the big thing though is that fans have got to see something to cling on to. Yeah, they? I think the you know the weekend they, they, there's nothing there to hang onto and think, oh, it's going to be okay because of this. If anything, it was the kind of more of a stark reminder of mm. actually this could be the year where we do go down because there's nothing to hang our hats on. I think moving forward, no matter what happens at Crystal Palace this weekend, fans have got to see something that they can they can get behind and buy into and, and really kind of... Like we saw last season where yeah. we had with Charles and Calvert-Lewin got back fit and, you know, it was all kinds of everyone bought into what was what was going on. Saturday had that feeling of fans kind of lost that bit of yeah. hope that they had because of what they were witnessing with their own eyes. It felt like Brighton again. It felt like Brighton in the middle of January, mm-hmm. didn't it, when things just started to fall apart um, really dramatically. And then, you know, obviously Deitch came in, changed things around, gave everyone the hope. So maybe you can do the same thing again. Right, gents, I think we won't leave it there. We'll, we'll of course, be back on Friday to look back on Sean Deitch's pre-Crystal Palace press conference. And, of course, look ahead to, well, we always seem to say, but another huge game for the Blues. I think we should just grab every game now moving forward is huge. Yeah. Must win, you know. Well, it is, isn't it? Yeah, it is. The it, more it, you win. lose, the bigger the games ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems to be getting bigger and bigger yeah. every week, please, don't they? Yeah. So, but we will, of course, back on Friday afternoon to look ahead to that game of Selhurst Park. But for today, thank you very much for listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.